hopefully in your life you have encountered some people that have just embodied what it really means to to be a mature follower of Jesus. If, if you're in the church, if you're new to the church or you're just checking church out, I mean, this is an important part of the learning process is having mentors, uh, leaders, examples so that we can follow and learn from. And as we get to the end of chapter two of this letter to the Philippians, Paul brings out two examples for the Philippians to kind of put their hooks into in, in terms of what it really means to have the mind of Christ. Because he's presented this great idea of like, have the mind of Christ, be this selfless servant and humble servant on the behalf of others, work out your salvation, don't grumble and complain, you know, you're, you're a shining star in this dark and, and crooked and perverted universe. He's like, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and, and, but I'm, I'm rejoicing, and you too should rejoice. And, of course, the Philippians are standing there, and they're thinking, yeah, what a great example of Jesus. What a great example is Paul. But, like, I'm not Jesus, and I'm not Paul, so what am I supposed to do? And then he says, well, let, let me give you two practical examples of men you know who are living this out right now as we speak. These are men that are part and have been connected with your church and will be part of and connected to your church. And so I want to bring this to your attention. Now, there is in the background, too, this idea of Paul sitting in a prison. He sent this letter back with this guy named Epaphroditus, who was a member of the church of Philippi, sent to Philippi uh, from Rome with this letter to be read to the church. They're reading this letter. Epaphroditus is sitting there. Paul is reading this letter, and someone is reading this letter, and they're all listening to the words the Apostle Paul. They're worried about him. He's in prison. They were also worried because somewhere along the line, Epaphroditus got sick. They sent him to be the, the worker, the helper, the, the, you know, the good soldier of Jesus, and, and he got sick. And they're like, oh no, Epaphroditus is sick. And, and we'll see this in the moment. But Paul steps back here and he says, here's two guys that have figured this out, that you can learn that you can emulate and that, that it is possible for you to actually have the mind of Christ if you follow Christ and the example of godly men and women who embrace that. And chances are, hopefully, along your journey, you had one or two of those. A dedicated mentor that stuck with you. It's becoming rarer in the church today. But that doesn't mean it, it, it should be that. We want it to be different because this is the model of the New Testament is this intentional investment in other people's lives for the glory of God and the sake of the gospel. You see that in verse 19 of chapter 2. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be encouraged by hearing news about you. So Epaphroditus is sitting there. Timothy's back in Rome. They, they know Timothy. Timothy was there the first time he, Paul visited and established the church. And, and of, of subsequent visits, Timothy is, is, is a close companion of the Apostle Paul. And he's like, I'm, I'm hoping to send him to you. I hope in the Lord Jesus. And he's saying, I have this hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's if the Lord would will and make it to happen, then I will send Timothy to you. Paul was always careful to make sure that his plans were in alignment with what the Lord Jesus wanted him to do. 
fact, the whole reason he ended up in Philippi was because he, he was determined to go here, determined to go here, and God shuts the door, and finally he gets this vision of Macedonian man. He's like, okay, that's where I need to go. So he's clean to follow God's will. He's like, I want to send him to you because I want to hear some encouraging news. Or literally, I want to be cheered in my soul because of what's going on there in Philippi. And he describes Timothy in verse 20 in very glowing terms. For there is no one here like him. I mean, he's, he's talking Rome, big city, lots of Christians. He's like, you know, I, I don't have anyone else like Timothy. I mean, I was reading that. Does he mean like there is no one? Like Timothy here? I mean, it's like, like they're all a bunch of shallow, selfish Christians and just doing their own thing, staying in bed when they feel like it, not giving to the church because they're too selfish with their money and not sharing the gospel because they're, they're, you know, they're worried about what people might think if they kind of out of themselves as a Christian. Is that what he's talking about? Well, I mean, th- that may be true, but that's not really what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, Timothy is an all-star. I mean, he really has caught mind of Christ. And as a result, he is so valuable to me. That to send him right now would, would, would really hurt my situation. I, I need him here. There's no one here like him. And, and what does that mean? Who will readily demonstrate his deep concern for you? He's like, you know, I could send other people. But they would just be doing a job. But, but Timothy really, actually, in the depth of his soul, cares for you. He actually cares. When he asks you, how's it going, he waits for the answer. Not, you know, oh, how's it going? Good. Okay, see you later. You know, he's actually stopping. You know, no, how is it going with you? How's it going with you spiritually? We care about I know you don't always want to hear that question. How are you moving up and out of your life in Jesus Christ? But that's a value for us. We want to know that you're on that progression. It's like Timothy is that kind of leader. He actually cares about you. He has a deep concern for you. The idea of uh, readily is, is this idea of being genuine. It was a word used to describe one who was legitimately born a birthright. He is legit. He's not just going through the motions. You know, some of you, or you go to some doctors, and they're just running you through their, their, their books, and they're just trying to get as many people in and out of the day as, as they can in a day. They don't really care about you. Oh, here, take some antibiotics. Okay, here, take, take, you know, take, take some codeine. You know, here, you know, you know, what do you need? What do you need? Okay, get out of here. I need, you know, you know and they're just running people through, and you're like, do you actually care about me? Oh, here's a list of things. Go, you know, go, go get all these tests. So you get all these tests, and then you don't hear anything back. Why? Because those tests are sitting on a desk somewhere in his office, and he's going on, or she's going on, and they're just running people through, making money. They don't care about you. Timothy actually cares about you. A deep concern for you. He has the mind of Christ, where he has humbled himself, and he has elevated your interests, and he actually cares. 
He says in verse 21, Others are busy with their own concerns, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy is not one of those people who are just always worried about their own bank balance and their own work and their own status and their own, you know, opportunities and their own career path. The commentators would say, Timothy was that guy who was always in the second chair. Always. Always in the shadow. There's Paul, there's Timothy. You know, kind of just, you know, following along. And then he seemed to embrace that. I'm okay being the second guy. It's all right. I'll be the co-pilot. No big deal. I'm just serving the Lord as long as the gospel's advancing. He's like, this is that guy. He's, and then others are, are so concerned about their own agenda, their own progress, their own promotion, their own value and status. He's like, that's not Timothy. He has embraced the interests of Jesus Christ. How do you find out what It's reading the Gospels. It's really, you know, sitting and, and just walking with Jesus. Uh, something that sometimes what happens with, with some Christians that have been in the faith a while is they just get stuck in the epistles of Paul. And then they start, you know, going into theological roads. And, and those, those roads, you know, are good. But they forget about the Gospels. They forget about the real Jesus. And that the person actually did hands, you know, like flesh and blood encounters with real living people. And, and they get so caught up in, in, you know, theological ruts that they forget that there's this living Savior who actually held children on his lap and, 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 and rubbed mud on blind people's eyes and, and, you know, raised people from the dead. I mean, they forget that there's this, this real Jesus who sat with tax collectors and prostitutes and, and feasted with them. You're like, 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 who is the real Jesus? His heart is the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. What's the concern of Jesus? Every person in our city that doesn't know him, that's his concern. Timothy's like, yeah, I am so passionate for the gospel that whatever other interests I might have had or, or agenda or, or pro, you know, life plan that I had laid out was laid aside as I embraced Christ and the mission of God and Paul invited me the church sent me and yes now this is my life how much did the interest of Jesus find room on your calendar this week where did it find a place in your heart this week you drove around, as you interacted with people, was that even on the radar? As you looked at your financial statement, was, was that even something that you thought about? What, what would Jesus do with what I've got? How would he have me to, to utilize these for the maximum kingdom impact? Because I, I believe I'm not living for this world, but for the world that's to come. So I want to make everything that I have here count for the one that's ahead. That's Timothy. The interests Jesus. And he goes on in verse 22 to say, but you know his qualifications. Like a son working with his father, he served with me in advancing the gospel. I mean, he was my, almost like a family, like, like, like my adopted son. And in the first century, if you were you, know, you tended to follow your dad in, in whatever trade that he did, right? So you can just imagine this is the father apprenticing his son in the family business or the family trade, and he's teaching them and preparing him to take over whatever the father and, and, and the family lineage had, had established. That we are carpenters, we're bakers, we're, you know, we're, we're farmers, whatever that would be. 
It's like Timothy just, just fell in the line and he apprenticed under me. We're, we're close. So when I send Timothy to you, well, what I'm telling you is you can expect him to have my very heart because I've invested my whole life in him. And so when he comes and ministers to you, it's like I'm ministering to you. I'm not sending you the bench, you know, the, the bench warmer that's sitting at the end of the bench. I'm sending you my, my number one all-star to help and to minister to your needs. He served. And that word served is actually um, the word slaved. Again, there, there's two different words for servant and slave in the Greek language. And slave is this person who, who works without any rights, who does what they're told, who, you know, who, who advances the interests of the master. Timothy slaved for Jesus Christ, advancing the gospel. And that's the whole tone of the book of Philippians is we want to keep the gospel moving forward. And, and there are threats to that happening. Sometimes it's internal threats. Sometimes it's external threats. It's suffering and persecution. But, but I'm sending Timothy to you. He is the faithful servant who has continually kept this thing moving forward. And when he comes, he's going to encourage you along those lines. In verse 23 says, I hope to send him soon, as soon as I know more about my situation. And in verse 24, though I am confident in the Lord that I will, too will be coming to you soon. So, you know, Paul's like in this situation, like, I'm not sure how this is all going to work out, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to send Timothy. He's going to return to me, tell me how things are going there, but I hope to be there to see you guys soon. But in the meantime, here is an example of what I've been trying to teach you. Timothy embodies the gospel in his life, his character, his commitments, his whole life realignment with the purposes of God and Jesus Christ and sharing the good news. Timothy, a standing example. I was thinking about Ireland. We've got friends in Ireland. The story of St. Patrick, right? St. Patrick was, uh, Patrick was uh, in Britain. 16-year-old, and all of a sudden these Irish warriors come over and, and, and attack his village and, and burn it down and take him back to Ireland as a slave. He's sent, he's this Irish warrior, chief war, you know, has, has him as a slave, sends him to the hills to look after his pigs. And he's, he's in the hills, and, and at the, up to that point, he was a very complacent Christian, but then he, he really begins to pray and pray and pray and pray and, and use that time, and it's, he's almost starving on the hills, and finally God's like, you know, he really grows close to God, and God's like, guess, guess what? You're going to be going home soon. And then God speaks to him somehow and says, like, yeah, you need to get to the south coast because there's a ship waiting for you there. So he runs 200 miles finds this boat going across to France, to Gaul, and, and they get there, and, and you know, and he's this journey. He finally gets, gets back home to Britain, and, and, you know, so it's great. He's home. He, you know, he's back where he belongs, and then God puts this call on his heart. Go back to Ireland. Now, I'm thinking about that, because I'm like, this is me. God's asking me to go back to the place that, you know, <laughs> where I'd been a slave. I mean, that's crazy. But so he goes back to Ireland as a missionary. Why? Because God asked him to, and because he knew these people were stuck in darkness. And so St. Patrick, and the stories are legendary, some true, some probably embellished. Uh, but his impact left a big difference. But he had a critical point where he had to choose. Patrick's life in Britain or God's will for Patrick back, back in Ireland. And he, you know, and, and, and so, so there it is. Timothy's the same way. 
His, his path is going a certain direction. He encounters Jesus. He encounters the Apostle Paul. The church is like, yeah, Timothy, you go with Paul. And, and, and all of a sudden, it's like, boom, his whole life changes. Because he now has the mindset of Christ. But then he gets to the closer to home in the latter part of this chapter, verse 25. He says, but for now, I've considered it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. Epaphroditus. And he's sitting there. There is probably a little bit of uncertainty because it's like, hey, we sent this guy. We commissioned him. We sent him with money for the Apostle Paul. He was supposed to work for Paul. He gets there. He gets sick or he's sick on the way. We don't know how it happened, but it's like, it's like now you were supposed to be help. Now you're a burden. And maybe there was people in the Philippine church saying, Epaphroditus let us down. We put him out in the field and he dropped the pass. Gave him the handoff, he fumbled it. He took the, you know, the shot and it went airball. You know, he's, he's aiming at the net and it went over the glass. I mean, I mean, Epaphroditus let us down. But, but Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Let me tell you about Epaphroditus who's sitting right in the, in the church with them listening to this letter. I'm going to send Epaphroditus to you because he is my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to me in my needs. And so he just layers it on here. Three things that, 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 that he is to Paul, two things that he is to the Philippian church. And those terms, Paul just doesn't throw out randomly. These are badges of honor. He's my brother. We serve together in this familial, close familial association. He works alongside of me, a co-worker. Uh, he is part of, of you know, his band of brothers serving the Lord together. But he's also this fellow soldier. He fought for the sake of the gospel. He put his life on the line for the sake of the gospel. He served in this intense, hostile environment for the sake of Christ. Understand, Epaphroditus is no wimp. He's no wuss. He's no coward. He's the real deal. You sent him to me. He is your messenger. That actually is the word apostle. It's not capital A apostle. It would be kind of a, a small A apostle. Uh, uh, it, it literally means one who is sent, commissioned, an emissary on behalf of, of someone else. Epaphroditus was, was specifically sent on this church planting, church encouraging, discipling mission by the church to, to assist the apostle Paul as he spread the gospel. He is the real deal. And he was sent there to help the Apostle Paul. But then Paul says, well, you, you know what happened? Verse 26. Indeed, he greatly missed all of you and was distressed because you heard that he had been ill. I mean, you know, he, like, like the, they describe that distress as like this, this homesick. He was, he was homesick. But not, not, not in a bad way, but he was concerned because he's there. The, the news had gone to the Philippians. Oh, yeah, Epaphroditus is sick. And they're like, oh, no. And then he's like, oh, no, they're going to be worried about me because I'm sick. Some of you are like this when you're sick. You know, you don't really want people to show you any attention. Others, you are not. You want all the attention you can get. You know, you get it. But Epaphroditus was not one of those guys, right? Not one of those grouchy men that gets sick and just can't do it. No, he wasn't one. He's just like, no, no, don't worry about me. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> you know, hacking up a lung and black phlegm coming out. I mean, who, it was bad. He says in verse 27, in fact, he'd become so ill that he nearly died. 
But God showed mercy to him, and not only to him, but also to me, so that I would not have grief on top of grief. And there's a prophet. I'm okay, Paul. Paul's looking at him and saying, no, I've not seen many people of that skin tone live. <laughs> it's green, gray, you know, like, you know, your, your lips are, have changed color, you know, your stuff, ooh, I mean, you're not looking good, Epaphroditus. Usually people in your condition don't make it. Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, <laughs> you know, and, and he's wondering, what is going to happen here? Paul's thinking, oh, no. Now I got to go back to the Philippians and say, yeah, the guy you sent me died. You know, I killed him out here in Rome. You know, it's horrible. Send another one, you know. Just all this kind of like innuendo. Of course, the, the communication, like this is not texting or phoning or, you know, video calls. Like this is like letters, you know, gossip spread by, you know. So like, it takes a long time. So you're just not sure what is going on. Apostle Paul's like, how am I going to explain this? Yeah, you sent me one of your best guys, one of your all-stars, and he gets out here and he dies. Isn't that nice? Could you send another one? You know, he's like, what kind of grief? And this could affect my relationship with the church. And so he's like, I'm, finally, Epaphroditus does get better. Because it says in verse, uh, you know, God showed mercy to him and to Paul. And he's healed. And so there he is sitting there. The man who, who sat on the doorstep, he probably saw the light in the, you know, the midnight hours of the night as he's, as he's in delirium. He probably saw the light in the tunnel, but, but Jesus like, no, not yet, Epaphroditus. Stay there. I got, I got more work for you. And so there he is. He's back in the church. And here he is. I'm sending him back to you. He's a good man. He's a faithful man. He understands the light of Christ. He is no failure. He's no dropout. He gave everything he could for the cause of Christ. And he says in verse 28, Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you can rejoice and I can be free from anxiety. Like, whew, finally. It's like, he's back in your hands. He's yours now. I don't have to worry about this. But he's also like, yes, it's, we made it through this. This was a horrible experience. But God carried us through it. His mercy got us to this place. He says in verse 29, here's how you're supposed to treat him. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Now, who do we honor? Who do we show value and respect to? I mean, some of you will go in the next month to the Vic Juba to watch some country singers, and you're going to spend 70 bucks. You're going to honor their talent. Some of you will watch, you know, overpaid grown men and women play sports and you'll spend money to do so and you will honor them. Some of you will turn on your TVs and watch singers or go to concerts and you will honor them by spending money to do that. But the Word of God says, honor these types of people. Ones that give and sacrifice their whole lives for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. Because that is what this is all about. I've, if you have the privilege of serving downstairs, which many of you do, uh, in the summertime, they've been going through this series, uh, The Voice of the Martyrs, on a different kind of missionaries and, and, and people. And, and some of those, are, I, I was reading about this just as I prepared for this, and one of those was Gladys Elward. She was denied 
into the mission agency of China in the mission because they felt she was too young and didn't have the education. But she bought her own ticket, went to China, and opened up this mission with it with another lady, and they called it the Inn of the Eighth Happiness. Uh, she worked to try to help, you know, change and bring, bring good, you know, gospel into, into China. When World War II broke out, she took a hundred orphans over the mountain to safety and ended up in Taiwan where she ministered to kids, but she just poured her life out. Honor people like this. Amy Carmichael was another one of those type of people. She was had her own sicknesses and issues, but she went to India and, and did mission work, and, and, and her life was dedicated to ending child prostitution and giving a home and a future to India's many orphans. She's a prolific writer and wrote many poems, but, you know, like, honor people like this. Eric Liddell, who chariots a fire guy, I mean, he, he's known for, you know, that great race that he ran that he didn't train for, but, but he really, it was the end of his life where he's in his internment camp and, and ministering the gospel to, to people that, 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 that are from all the different nations that were shoved together in this camp, and, and there he is pouring out his life until he dies of a brain tumor over there in China while his wife's here in Canada giving birth to their last child. I mean, honor people like that. As he says in verse 30, since it was because of the work of Christ that he almost died. He risked his life so he could make up for your inability to serve like, you know this guy. Like, he's right in your church. You sent him to me. I've sent him back to you. He gets this. He was sitting on the very doorstep of death, nearly, nearly falling off the bed into the into eternal kingdom and, and light with Jesus. But, but, he, but he stayed around because he's not done his work yet. And, and honor him, respect him, welcome him. And literally, it's like, it's like the homecoming welcome of, of, of a, someone who had been serving in the war, right? Seeing those guys that, and women and women that came back from the war, you know, and the, you know, the parades in the street. Welcome at Paphroditus. He is no slouch. And what I think the Apostle Paul wants to encourage us in New Life is there are Timothy and Epaphroditus here. There are Gladys Aylwards and Mary Slessers here men and women of faith, of, of deep commitment and of passion and of sacrifice, who can become and will be all-stars in God's eyes. We at New Life will hold those men and women in high regard. They will be the heroes, people that sacrifice, give their time, who decrease their own interest in order to increase the interests of Christ in their life. The natural, innate nature is to be selfish. To do what you want, when you want it, how you want it. But the mind of Christ says, I die to that. And I embrace the life of Christ. And he sets the agenda and the direction for my life. And in that process, you will find that you will give up a lot of things, but you will gain some any of you are afraid to do that. You cling to what you have. But if you would just let it go, God could fill your hands with more than you ever dreamed possible. Timothy discovered that. Epaphroditus discovered that. Paul had discovered that. Christ example, exemplified that. And he invites all of us to that. 
it's actually possible to embrace the mind of Christ and to live this out in real terms. These two men are, are clear examples of that. Giving your life. Brothers, I, I just I close with this story. It's from a, it's a parable of a, a guy named Sadhu Sundar Singh. He's a Hindu convert to Christianity. He became a missionary in India. So one late afternoon, Sadhu was traveling on foot through the Himalayas with a Buddhist monk. It was bitter cold in the night, with the night coming on, and the monk warned Sadhu that they were in danger of freezing to death if they did not reach the monastery before darkness fell. Just as they were traversing a narrow path above a steep precipice, a cliff, they heard a cry of help. Down the cliff lay a man, fallen and badly hurt. The monk looked at Sadhu and said, Don't stop! God has brought this man to his fate. He must work it out for himself. Let us hurry on before we too perish. But Sadhu, the Christian, replied, God has sent me here to help my brother. I cannot abandon him. The monk made off through the whirling snow while the missionary clambered down. The man's leg was broken. He could not walk. So Sadhu took his blanket, made a sling of it, and tied the man on his back. Then, bending under his burden, he began a body-torturing climb. By the time he reached the narrow path again, he was drenched with perspiration. Doggedly, he made his way on through the deepening snow. It was dark now, and it was all he could do to follow the path. But he persevered, and through, though faint with fatigue and overheated from exertion, he finally saw ahead the lights of the monastery. Then, for the first time, Sadhu stumbled and nearly fell. But not from weakness. He had stumbled over some object lying in the road. Slowly he bent down on one knee and brushing the snow off the object, it was the body of the monk frozen to death. Years later, a disciple of Sadhu's asked him, what is life's most, most difficult task? Without hesitation, Sadhu replied, to have no burden to carry. in getting rid of yourself and embracing the life of Christ that you will find meaning and purpose and honor and welcome. And the book of Philippians has reminded us that. The interest of Christ, God wants you to get onto that agenda in your own life. In a personal way, using your resources, your skills, your abilities, He, he will use you. Be available for that this week. Team, would you come up? I invite to you know, close us in a song here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, of course, just doing good things for people doesn't really get you anywhere. But when Christ, when you believe in Christ and you become part of God's family, you are now given this internal resource of the Holy Spirit, and that is a transforming influence in your life. It produces in you a whole new set of desires and wills and wants, and, and you begin this process of becoming more like Christ. We call it, in theological terms, sanctification. But I invite you to enter that relationship if you haven't. But if you are in that relationship, as many of you are, uh, this text invites us to practically implement the mind of Christ by serving others, by advancing the gospel, 
by laying down our own lives so that Christ can envelop our lives with his life. So let, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you that there are real people in, in the word of God that remind us that this is actually possible. Transform our minds to be like our Savior and to so impact our behaviors that we live out the reality the mindset of Christ. So I pray this in Jesus' name. says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Oh Lord, help us this week to stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take on the mindset, the frame of mind of Jesus himself, to look to his interests ahead of our own, and so to make a difference, an impact on this city with this truth. So start that here, Lord, in our midst, and then take it through us into our community, into our provinces, into our country, into our world. You will receive all the praise all the glory forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. God bless you.